Hi there, Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. Podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're in Mysore, India, talking to Colin and Carolyn Craggs about pioneering movements. For me, uh, as a young married couple, we're in a church and a missions pastor was talking about who feels called to overseas work and we were at opposite, opposite sides of the church that day and somehow found ourselves both at the front of the church saying, me, I want to do overseas work. And from there, God took us on a process of listening to him as to where and when and what place. And he, uh, again, independently gave us the name of a city in South India. And um, that's where we ended up. Well, I'm, I'm glad he gave you both the same city. It would have been terrible have been if they were different cities. <laughs> Yeah, and, and we went on a steep learning curve after yeah. that because neither of us had been exposed to disciple-making movements. And um, so, yeah, right from the ground up. And no one in um, that city was doing that kind of work as well. So, okay. yeah. Well, before we get learning. to that, tell us a bit about the transition for, for you as a family because you had uh, three young children and one on the way. Yeah, correct. What was um, that like? Yes, it was very, very interesting in those early days because uh, we heard daily comments and had daily tears about, I hate India, I want to go back to Australia from the older two. And, um, you know, our priority was split between, you know, we need to look at our spiritual climate here versus we need to find an obstetrician and get this baby born safely. So, yeah, a lot of juggling in those early days. And I think the kids had real struggles with the food because it's hot and spicy. Oh, uh, yeah. What was that like? That was actually, it seems like a small thing, but we would be struggling to find something they could eat. They would be, this is too spicy, that is too spicy. So we actually prayed uh Lord, change their taste buds so that they can handle spicy food. And now they actually have competitions uh, as to who can eat the most chilli on their meal. So, yes, a big transformation. So they just, they just burnt out those uh, taste buds. They might have done. <laughs> now they'll eat anything. Excellent. Excellent. And so some challenges as, as a family, adjusting to culture, finding schools, all of that sort of stuff. And... Um, you know, the, you had a, a four-year-old and a six-year-old, and uh, so they're, they're old enough to, to really feel it. Um, yeah. You know, what was that they, like for you as parents? Yeah. Oh, you yeah as, as parents, one of, the, one of the challenges is trying to work out is the, the, the issue before us, the six-year-old, four-year-old, or one-year-old, is it because they're six and four, or is it because it's a different culture? Mm-hmm. Or you that's know, their or what? That's their personality, yeah. and and trying to allow for the cultural stuff, but not allow for the the little kid naughty stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that was a challenge because it's it's a, sometimes we got it right, plenty of times we got it wrong. Yeah. yeah. And as a family, it was also a different time management system. We were used to okay, let's start this day at eight thirty, yeah. and. Nowhere's open until 10, 10.30. Yeah. Okay. So, and bank business takes all day and, 
you need multiple copies of documents to sign a, you know, a rental agreement. So, yeah, yeah. a lot of those frustrations early on. And you're also on the learning curve in terms of you, you're learning about um, multiplying movements and trying to apply the principles and some of the tools uh, in the early days. What, what was that like? Plenty of mistakes, mm -hmm. lots and lots of mistakes along the way. Um, Give we, us an example. Sure. Uh, an example would be, um, you know, reading about Yin Kai's six lesson plan and how successful that was in China. And um, from what I, we understood, Karnataka had a fairly high literacy, so we thought that would be a good place to begin. And the very first group we go to, uh, no one can read or write. Uh, and then we discover that um, Bangalore has a high literacy and outside of Bangalore it rapidly declines and then you get into the villages and it's declined even further. Um, and so that, that strategy was out. We had to look at doing something that didn't require reading and writing. So, so what did you do? Um, it's a very oral culture. Uh, storytelling is part of their um, their natural family life. And so stories worked really well. So we used the discovery uh, Bible study model and used to, uh, the leader of that group used to tell the story and, and then questions uh, would get asked to make sure that people had understood. And then uh, the people themselves that were participants in the group retelling that story to each other to make sure that um, they had not only understood the story, but also were able to then pass it on to others. Okay, and how, how did that work? It was a little different. Uh, the reproducing the story was no problem because the education system here is uh, there was very much uh, rote learning. So people got that part. The questions actually were more of a challenge because they weren't used to voicing their opinions at all. Oh, yeah. So we had to really encourage people. It's okay, there's no wrong answer here. Um, you know, what What are you feeling? Um, just voice it out. Yeah. So, yeah, that part was a challenge. So, ironically, one of the key uh, Bible study questions was, what do you like about the passage? Because everyone has an opinion. Nobody can be wrong. You can't mm. say anything wrong. But that would get people talking. Well, um, now, what was the strategy? I think initially you, you started by um, training believers, training churches, Mm. The reason them. we we did we began with with that approach. Um, there were two states in India under BJP rule. B BJP is, is the Hindu Nationalist Party that rules correct. rules India, but also rules some of the states of India. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the time, it was only two states. One being Arista, where the uh, Australian missionary was killed, mm -hmm. and the other one was where we were working, mm -hmm. and. Um, ten years before we came on, there was a lot of freedom. You could stand on the street corner, have a speaker, preach the gospel, it was fine. But after the BJP came, there was a lot of persecution, people beaten up, churches burnt. Yeah, accusations um, of forced conversion and prosecutions, yeah. yeah. So about 10% of the pastors were physically beaten. Okay. Um, so it was pretty high. But mm. And so the idea of... Um, going and speaking to a non-believer who you don't know, knocking on doors, um, people didn't want to do that. It mm. was a very fearful thing. We were told you can't do that, you'll be mm. arrested. So we thought, well, let's work through the existing believers. They know people, they know lots of non-Christians. It's safe because it's a known person. 
And so that's where we we began. But we uh, quickly ran into troubles because people were very happy, particularly pastors, to receive free training. But when it came to releasing leaders, uh, it just wasn't happening. Okay, so they'd accept the training but wanted to stay in control. Correct. One of the, for a while there, we thought the issue was they didn't have the skills to equip and empower a new leader. And after a while, we realized that a lot of these churches belonged to their, their fathers. So these were yeah. second generation in the family line yeah. churches, mm -hmm. um, which means their father knew how to raise up a leader because they did it with their son. And as long as the church stayed in the family, that was okay. Mm. But to have other people leaders, that that wasn't going to happen. Mm. Or for someone that had not been theologically trained to even run a Bible study group, mm. they were not willing for that. So most of the churches we came across, they even if they had small groups or cottage meetings, it was all run by the pastor. That's a busy so pastor then. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so very high-control churches. Okay. So what did you do in response to that? We sat down together and we prayed and Colin said, you know what we need to do? We need to filter. And <coughs> we filtered like crazy. We were like, okay, this person has received a week or two of training. What have they done with it? And if they hadn't done anything with it, we would go, okay, let's wrap up our involvement and move on. And that way, eventually, we did find some people that were willing to release leaders. Um, uh, Colin found actually a pastor that was ready and already doing that. Um, mm. So that was really encouraging. But yes, after many years of frustration. So we go on, Colin. But we applied Jesus' strategy of enter the village, find a person of peace. If you don't find them, move on. We applied that to Christians. If we found someone who was already trying to empower lay people, was already giving the ministry away, uh, we would partner with them. If we saw people holding on and doing control, we'd give them a little bit of training, give them yeah. the opportunity. If they didn't move forward, we moved on, yeah. dusted our feet, and just trusted that God would and bless lead them. us, bless them, uh, <laughs> and hope that God would. We actually moved more to a, God, you've got to bring the right people yeah. or this doesn't happen. Yeah. Even with our evangelism, we stopped, in, in some ways, we stopped looking at the results and just said, God, you're either working in this area or you're not. Yeah. And, you know, please give us the opportunity. That's, that's so, so it took some years of frustration where I guess you were getting experience as trainers and, and you were trying this thing on, but there can't, came a point at which we've had enough. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not proving fruitful. Yes. And so you started making, I imagine at first, some hard decisions about who you'd follow up, who you'd prioritize in terms yeah. of time. Yep, correct. Yeah. yeah, very much so. And we found we also had to go back to the basics and get out uh, and run groups ourselves to go, okay, you know, we need to model this in order for people to get it. We need to show some success in this so we can say it works. Um, so we again went back to, okay, who can we uh, 
you know, present the gospel to? Can we start new groups? So, yeah, that kind okay, of Okay, so there's two shifts going on when, when you hit that, I guess it was a big wall. <laughs> we're, not, we're doing the stuff, but it's not working. So instead of blaming the principles, you, you made these two shifts. So, and one of them was, well, we need to be closer to the action, not just the outsiders training, but we live in this neighborhood or this city. So you got more involved in the harvest yourselves. Yeah, exactly. And being able to understand then some of the finer details of uh, what was working and not working and um, through actually some input from you guys, uh, Steve and your wife, Michelle, I'm we sure it was were Michelle. like, hey, we, yeah, exactly. Uh, we were able to also recognize, okay, we've got a lot of people willing to accept Jesus, but so few uh, actually interested in baptism. And why is that? And being able to problem solve some of the issues mm. like that really helped us okay so any other major shifts that occurred along the way in terms of learning how to apply the principles in in a real setting one of the um a few years ago we had some good results we were happy with it things were happening but i think it's that constantly uh, a constant listening to other practitioners finding out what they're trying and that continual learning process. So one of the breakthroughs was listening to people doing, you know, these evangelistic pushes into neighborhoods, yes. knocking on doors and saying, you know, can we bless you? And, and for me, for years being told, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. And, and coming back to, continually coming back to Scripture and saying, how mm -hmm. close are we doing what Jesus did? Um, and... You know, what would that look like for us in our context? So in the beginning, we were working through Christians, and that was good. One of the lessons we learned was uh, about uh, persecution, because that's a safe way to do it, that it was the fear of persecution that stopped a lot of people. And at the back of my head was that question of, can a push work here? And is it just the fear of what could happen holding us back? Mm -hmm. And we decided to bite the bullet and try a push okay. and see what happened. Mm. And we and, had several local partners very willing to join yeah. us on that learning and what just, just describe for us what a push is. Sure. Um, we would go out in twos um, and because our theory was if we go and bless and pray for people as an initial step, Jesus said, you know, heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim the gospel. So we decided let's just separate those two out and just go out to begin with and bless and then follow up with the open doors. And so um, what we trained people to do is knock on doors and, and say this, I'm praying for God's blessing in this area. If God could do a miracle in your life, what would it be? Okay. And we, we took half an hour to train people, get them to practice, and then we'd send them out. So the first training would be an hour, an hour and a half, half an hour, this is what you say, and then out the door. Um, and that's what people were doing. And we would just hope that if, if we prayed for someone and the door was receptive and we felt in our spirit that this was a safe house, we'd go back. Okay. If we didn't feel it was safe or they didn't want prayer or we just didn't feel right we didn't yeah. go back and mm -hmm. that follow-up would happen a week later 
And we'd say to the person we prayed for, uh, you know, if uh, if you're willing, can we take your number and give you a call next week or drop in next week and see what the results of this yeah. prayer were? Okay. And then we just trusted God to to move in that person's life and find the right people. And and, and um, what happened? Well, the let me give a quick illustration. We had one African pastor in uh, in the city we were working in, and on the other side of town, we're doing the push. He knows there's African students there. He wants to start a new church. And my prayer was, God, let him find one African. He doesn't even have to be interested in yeah. Jesus. Just let him find yeah. one African. In his hour of door knocking, let him find just one student. Yeah. So the first door he knocks on, the guy opens the door. It's an African student. He says, I'm asking God for which church to attend. And I have seven of my friends in this house that need the gospel. Can you come in and share with them? Wow. Yeah. I'm like, that's needle in the haystack yeah. stuff. There's, mm. We could not have planned it. Mm. We sent out nine teams in nine different areas that day and none of the others found Africans. Mm. So this African pastor just found the needle. Okay. Um, and you just go, that's... That's gone. That's gone. It has to be, yeah. Yeah. And what about amongst Indian folk? Were there any uh, examples there? Yes, we had another uh, push that uh, three... Pairs went out into three different sections of a neighbourhood um, that is, uh, it has a high Muslim population, uh, but also, you know, a high Hindu population. And uh, some, you know, had the opportunity to pray and some didn't. But out of one of that pair of twos uh, area, two groups uh, were started because people were ready and they said, um, Yes, this is what I need prayer for. The follow-up happened uh, by the original people that went and knocked on the door and they said, yep, we're really happy because, you know, one of them had asked for prayer for family harmony and it had miraculously happened. Mm. And uh, so those people passed on to another team of people and said, you know, we ourselves personally can't follow up and uh, start a group in this house, but are you willing to, to do that? And uh, so another couple of people went in and started a group. And out of that, um, another group uh, has started in uh, the across the road house. Um, and uh, another example of God working is we, we were speaking the local language, but actually this area was a little ghetto of people from another state. And recently... Um, an old grandmother has gotten involved in going to that area and she is a native speaker of the same language they indigenously speak. So wow. God is always refining and blessing people who are willing. Yeah. We were getting good results working through believers and their friends and family, but doing the pushes, I would say we saw 10 times the results because when we got entry into the home, we would ask the question, where do you want to meet? They would pick a place that they felt comfortable with. When do you want to meet? And then who else could you invite? And right from the beginning, we lay that foundation of you can invite people into your safe place. Um, they didn't always the first week, but we we saw you know, one person invite their other family members too, and within six weeks there was ten people um, because as they saw the love of Christ, they just invited more and more people. 
So we, we would see whole groups of new believers, and only in one push did we not see a, a group of new a group of seekers begin. And that church really didn't want to start new groups. Mm. They just wanted to bring them back into their church. They did, and the, the, the pastor had his staff working, and when we said to the staff, okay, the goal here is to get groups, they're like, oh, we're too busy for that. We can't run any more groups. Okay. Yeah. So, surprise, surprise, they didn't find any new groups started. But otherwise, every time we went out, we would see a new group start. So you just sort of go back over some of the breakthroughs. You know, early on it's about, you know, finding the tools that are most effective in that right. setting. Uh, it's about uh, connecting broadly but filtering, looking for the person of peace amongst the believers who's, who's yes. keen to do this and mobilize others. Yes. Um, you guys needed to really get into the field so as you could become more effective in training others and could talk out of your experience. Yes. And then you, you brought all of those pieces together and said, we're going to break the fear barrier, and but still in a sensible way, we're going to go out into the community um, and not be bound by the fear of persecution. Correct. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, th these, are some, these are some life lessons. And um, it sounds like it took a number of years. You know, some of these didn't come for quite some time. Is that right? Yeah. Exactly. I'd say in the last 18 months is when we saw the most fruitful ministry um, in India. Okay. Anything else you really needed to learn before that, that door of fruitfulness opened? Um, well, I would say for me, but pr probably I can also speak for Colin, is the power of prayer. You know, we were used to praying those prayers, God, if it's your will, do this. And we realised our authority is what Colin said, to go and proclaim the good news and the year of the Lord's favour. And we, when we started doing that, we personally changed and became more bold. But also we saw people's lives change. And even if their immediate circumstances didn't transform, something would happen in them and they would say, now I'm able to face my situation with strength. But then miracles also did happen. Um, so people that were childless started having babies and, um, you know, here and there small healings would happen or someone's financial situation would change and we ourselves were encouraged by that, those answers to prayer. For me, one of the keys um, would be um, being surrounded by, or not surrounded, but having uh, a community of other practitioners so we would meet annually with other practitioners and being open to learning from them and not being ashamed of what results we were getting or weren't getting uh, because a lot of their insights uh, were our blind spots. Uh, one case in particular, I asked a, a successful practitioner out of China, I said to him, is the, the big movement similar to the big megachurches? It sounds good on paper, but you really need to be a special kind of person to make it happen. And he looked at me and he says, I don't know the answer to that. He said, what I do know is that this is God's strategy. And if you are faithful to it, you will see fruit. Mm. Whether it's a big movement or a handful of churches, that's God's problem. Yeah. And being able to do the work faithfully 
and trusting God with results, for me, um, was very liberating mm. to let go of. It, it's it's not a, it's not about me. Um, this is God's work. It's His plan, and let let go of the the big results. Just let Him let Him do it. Yeah, and, and tying the- your identity to the results. Yeah, correct. And yeah, instead, yeah. Um, just. Keep your focus on how great God is and, and yeah. faithfulness to Him and His ways. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And being obedient to the systems He put in place, um, you know, systems of of evangelism, systems of yeah. pastoral care, systems of um, leadership development. Yeah. So yeah. what you're building is healthy and and able to reproduce, um, not just going for the 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 quick result. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. And recognizing, um, you know, when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, recognizing in in what Jesus talks about is what's the most important thing. And he doesn't pray for money. He doesn't pray for buildings. He doesn't even pray for more laborers, which is when I ask a lot of people, what does Jesus pray for? They say more laborers, but he doesn't even pray for that. He prays that the laborers would be sent that they would go and recognizing in our ministry and in everyone else, the hardest thing is walking out that door into a village. Mm. And um, someone, someone, same guy actually told me going is the hardest part. The work of the ministry is easy. Um, until we went, the ministry seemed like the tough part. Yeah. But I've come to realize the going, actually that's the tough, the ministry itself actually is pretty easy. If you just get started, you just get started Step outside the door. Rest of it. So even, and like I said, that big breakthrough with that African pastor, you know, they started a new church after that and invited me to the church opening. And I discovered they just went across town and did it a second time. Wow. Um, and he's like, this, Colin, this is easy. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. <laughs> so after these five and a half years of really learning some key foundational things, what what does the last 18 months look like? For us, it is nothing short of miraculous because um, there were partners that appeared, sometimes it seemed out of nowhere. I don't even know how you met um Pastor Vijay, but uh, like people that would say, oh, why don't you come and do some training at my church or one situation where they'd been out on a push kind of, not before we were doing pushes, but had been praying and uh, stuff in a particular area and came across a practitioner and said, well, which church are you from? And she told them. And Colin connected with the pastor of her church. And out of that, one particular guy that was trained has started how many um, he he went from three to 39 church plants. Within um, three months or something? Uh, it was uh, nine months. Nine months, nine months. okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, this other, the other pastor, um, Colin, trained about, uh, you know, 12 to 15 of his people and they uh, went into another town and instructed a pastor there on how to... Um, do pushes and he went from an empty church to a full church and Mm. as we were leaving India they were planning to do the same in another part of the state Um, and encouraging each other and all those good kind of things another you want to talk about um, holiness 
Lucas. Yeah, um, yeah we, we saw, I think what we saw were people who got the paradigm, implemented the paradigm, owned the paradigm, and we're now out training other people as well. And so uh, we didn't have to be there anymore. Hmm. Uh, where we're working, it's just, it feels like a drop in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, um, but those drops add up. Um, and uh, uh, I was at one training session and this pastor we partnered with and had done very successful, just happened to be there at the same time. And when this group of 40 pastors said to me, is this really possible? Mm. I said, well, let me call up this guy I've been working with. And um, that was great. So the good so thing they there could was hear one of their we're listening to him. Talking about what God had done. It wasn't just the Westerner. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was It was local guys. And we really restricted ourselves to the state. We felt we weren't to train outside of the state. And the stories we're hearing from our partners is they're now being invited to other places. Um, and one of them in particular, as other pastors say to him, oh, the ministry's tough here. There's a lot of persecution. He just laughs and says, no, it's not. The work is easy. Um, and he shares the strategies with them. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's more full in his ministry life than he can handle. He's not after more groups, so he's happy to pass on the strategies. Yeah. yeah. So you've you've learned some key lessons. You've seen God come through. You're now beginning to see a multiplying movement begin to bubble away. Yeah. Um, and but God's called you back to Australia. There's some educational needs for for your kids. Um, what happens with this sort of this work in India? Where where's it going now? But actually, it's, that's a good question. Um, we didn't actually come back for our kids' education. Okay. We felt called back to Australia. And one of our questions is, God, why are you bring us back? when we're kind of really enjoying the fruit of what's mm. happening in India. We've got three different streams to fourth generation. Um, we're really happy. We feel like that's coming back a bit prematurely. Um, uh, but we felt similar to going there uh, and going on the mission field that independently we felt, yes, God's calling us back to this particular suburb uh, in Australia um, to continue the ministry. So our, our plan is to establish hopefully the same thing here, mm -hmm. uh, but also to continue to go back three, four times a year as, as much as we can to offer some more mid-level training um, and to work with those who are partnering to help them to expand their influence in the ministry. So we very much from behind the scenes. Okay, so your role will change really to be, previously you've been on the ground side by side with the people you're training. Yeah. Now they're stepping up and you have yeah. three streams of fourth generation churches. Yeah. And now you're going to play a role more of um, coming in a few times a year to bring those people together and, and, yep. and equip and resource them. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Well, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, you might like to recommend it to others through social media. It really helps. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. Thanks for listening.